everybody. Welcome to episode 13 of We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And we're here to tell you about specific events in history where we effed up somehow. What are we talking about tonight, Cody? Uh, we're talking about something from the early 20th century, uh, something that had a pretty big effect on the uh, labor rights, uh, workplace safety, that sort of thing. Um, have you... Uh, yeah, so uh, this is also going to be a uh, uh, first, because uh, it's the first twofer. We have two effer-uppers. <gasps> Gruesome twosome. Yeah. Uh, oh. Well, they're business partners, so I'm oh, like, well, I'm just going to put them in together. So, cause, okay. Because it's more of like what their practices were, mm, okay. as opposed to like... Uh, Specific action uh, on yes. either of their parts. It's yes. more like neglect on both of their parts. We'll get into that. Okay. Um, two effort uppers. Two effort uppers. Who are so, they? Uh, we'll, we'll get to them. But first, uh, some context uh, for uh, the era. Uh, okay. Early 20th century, or as Sophia Petrillo would say, picture it. New York City, 1911. Now we're going to have to pay <laughs> Golden Girls royalties. <laughs> uh, um, but... Uh, so this time frame, you know, Industrial Revolution, it's been in full swing for several decades at this point. Uh, heavy industrialization, um, manufacturing, uh, becoming a, a, a large industry, like, especially in America. So this is when we created the hole in the ozone layer, is what you're saying? Um, I'm pretty sure. I think they said, like, that uh, the Industrial Revolution is what... It's probably them. before that, then. Oh, okay. Or that, that probably started happening before. Uh, what we are oh, talking okay. about. Okay, cool. Because Industrial Revolution, like, usually it's dated to uh, early 19th century Britain. Oh, okay. Um, so we're about a century after that. Okay. So it's been, it's been going for some time. Um, cool. This increasing amount of industrialization led to the need for unskilled labor. Mm-hmm. Like, we just need you to pull this lever on this machine. And j- j- that's all we just need you to do. We don't mm-hmm. need you to th- the think... We don't need your, your, you know, your opinion. Just do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, women and immigrants uh, tended to fill a lot of these jobs. Yeah. A lot of the menial or factory jobs, and they tended to be paid at lower wages. Well, yeah. Than native men. Mm-hmm. Because uh, women, because they were seen as, you know, not as capable of, as men right. and immigrants. They don't speak the language. You can always screw them over somehow. And the incorrect assumption that women would leave their jobs more frequently in order to tend to the home business yes. and children, and they would yeah. get pregnant and leave and all yep. that stuff. So that's why they were another reason why they were paid less, yes. and still are. Yeah. Uh, at the time, uh, women's blouses were known as shirtwaists. Okay. Don't don't ask me why they're just called that. Okay. Um. Cool. Yeah. Uh. And at this time, uh, it's called the Progressive Era. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a time when uh, labor movements really start taking shape. Um, there's a lot of strikes going on, uh, it, not just in manufacturing, but other various industries, to, to varying levels of success. Mm-hmm. Um, th- so, so the workers were unionizing, Yeah, yeah. You see, mm-hmm. like, uh, union movements really kind of taking root. Well, yeah, I mean, so, the working working conditions all over the country were crap. Yeah, um, one of the sources I used for this, a man by the uh, name of David Von Driel, uh, said, quote, workers in the waste factories were trailed to the bathroom, 
were constantly shortchanged on their pay and mocked when they complained. And the owners shaved minutes off each end of the lunch hour and even, quote-unquote, fixed the time clocks, time clocks, time clots, um, to stretch the workday, end quote. Uh, so what you're saying is nothing has changed in the prece- yeah. or, uh, in the 110 <laughs> years since then. Yeah. Nothing has changed. Yeah. I can definitely vouch on that last one because uh, a former employer, I won't say who, used to do that. Used to fudge the time clocks a little bit. Uh, you know, especially if because nobody was permitted to work overtime, so they mm-hmm. if you hit you know, over forty hours, uh, we'll take a few minutes. We'll we'll fix it uh, forty minutes or however long. It's like we'll just we'll just fudge that, you know. So you just wouldn't get compensated for the time that you worked? No. Okay, well that's super illegal. Yeah, that's why when I left, I filed a complaint with the labor department. I don't know if anything ever came of it. I doubt it. Probably a pretty common practice. Probably, but, I mean, what else could I do? Yeah, it's true. And here's a dumb thing. You had to, uh, ostensibly, they would get your approval for it. You have to initial, like, your, mm-hmm. like, a the chain sheet that they did that to get your paycheck. Oh, so they're like, yeah, we did this, but if you don't sign off on it, we're not going to pay you. Yeah. You was it a direct pay- deposit? Well, that's the thing. Direct deposit was an option. But then it's just like, okay, you don't have to sign it then. It's like, they, it's like clearly, it's like, one, they didn't think this through. Because it, it looks like someone like me, I had a direct deposit. I never I never signed, I never initialed it. And I never got in trouble for it. So it's like, and even when I was a manager, I would just ignore it. I'd be like, all right, here's your paycheck. If someone came in, if someone came in to get it, I'd be like, all right, here you go. I'm not doing this. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. the seemingly, it's not truly unskilled labor. Like, maybe then when you were literally just pushing a button, the only reason it's called unskilled is because they thought that saying it's unskilled meant that they could pay people yeah. less. Unskilled yeah, labor really is not unskilled labor. Yeah. I mean, just because you're not, maybe not having to think critically or write anything down, right. you're still having to stand on your feet for probably, like, what, 14, 16 hours a day? Yeah. That's, okay, so yeah. you're not trained in anything in order to do this job, but you're still, it's still taking a toll on your body. Yeah. So, anyways, continue. Yeah, it's like, it's like the penny pinching is yeah. just like, like, literally, shaving, like, four minutes off a shift how much, is that really saving you that much money? Yeah. It would probably be like 25 cents. Yeah. After taxes. I don't know exactly what my boss was said. Well, it adds up over time. A quarter every two weeks or every week. Yeah. That adds up to $4 a year. Yeah, it was. Not $4. Yeah. But. Anyway. Um, companies engaged uh, back then. Well, and still now. Companies engaged in union busting and st- uh, strike breaking often violently. They don't oh really violently do it anymore. They just do it in more subtle means. Well, like, you know, posting stuff in the bathroom. Yeah, <laughs> or, or hiring scabs. Yeah. Firing you and blacklisting you from yep. the company. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's all sorts of ways that people <laughs> yeah. still do strike-breaking. I mean, really, it's just in the company's best interest to not require, you know, not have such crappy work environment that you need a union in the first place. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, but back then they would beat people over it, so that's why it's called strike breaking. Yeah, I, I guess there's 
some progress, I guess. You know, going from being beaten to with an inch of your life to not nowadays. I guess that's some form of progress. I mean, they don't <laughs> kick the crap out of you, but they yeah. beat the crap out of you financially. Yeah, not getting paid while you're on strike is. Yeah. I mean that that is literally why people will break strike. Yeah, is because yeah, they're they not can't getting afford paid. It. Yeah, yep. it's so. like I want to leave. I want to, you know, be. Yep. Uh, want to be responsible and i want to the social safety net is not sufficient to where you can strike for a long time mm-hmm. yeah which is unfortunate over four hundred thousand workers were employed in the shirtwaist industry in new york alone new york city alone in 1907 jeez new york's shirt making capital of yeah. the world yeah uh as more workers joined the industry uh strikes became more frequent mm-hmm. uh, one-third of new york city factory workers were women Okay. So. So, like, so, 125, 150, 175,000 yeah. of them were yeah, women. Um, well, also, like, if that's how many shirts they're making and they're having to employ 400,000 people and there's strikes all the time, then they probably have a pretty uh, common rotating, like... Like, I would imagine that these folks are not staying in these jobs for Well, well like, the fa- overall factory... Like, that's not just shirtwaists. This oh, is okay. overall factory workers okay, so are women. Gotcha. So, it's like, it's not that many people just making blouses. But still, 175,000 of the total factory workers in New York are women. Yeah. Ish. 175,000-ish. Yeah. And... Yeah. So, I would just imagine that there's a pretty large rotating... Rotating, uh... What's that called? Turnover. Yeah. Or uh, worker turnover in these places. If they're that bad. Yeah, especially in, in, you know, you could be fired for any menial thing. Like, if you complain, you could be fired. Isn't there a movie that Robin Williams is in about being a worker in a factory in the 20s? And he has to go to the bathroom and they only have newspaper for toilet paper? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Okay. Could have made it up. Who knows? Anyways, I, I, I don't know. Anyway, um, so uh, now I'm now I will talk about the. Now that you have a little bit of context for the era, mm-hmm. I'll talk about our effort uppers plural Ooh. again for this episode. Plural. Uh, Max Blank and Isaac Harris. Okay. Uh, both of them were Russian immigrants. They're both born in Russia. Uh, Blank in 1868 and Harris in 1865. Okay. Uh, they immigrated to the United States in the early 1890s. Um, they were they came from Jewish backgrounds, and Russia historically has never been a great place for the Jewish people. Right. Uh, a lot of pogroms. Right. Uh, so you saw a lot of immigration of uh, uh, Jewish families uh, in that time. Like well, well, like when so many other persecuted groups were coming to the United States. Uh, they also uh, large exodus to the United States. Sure. So they so they, so they came as immigrants, not like as wealthy affluent businessmen at this point. Correct. Okay. Correct. Gotcha. Uh, they were related through marriage. Um, I don't remember exactly. I think they were cousins-in-law or something like that. Um, and they lived close to each other because again, a lot of these immigrant communities they tended to stick together mm-hmm. when they did immigrate here. Mm-hmm. That's why you have Leo, like a. So you get like Chinatowns. So you get like Irish neighborhoods, Italian right. neighborhoods. Right. I mean, New like York, Little is still, Italy. Yeah, New York is still an example of that. German Village. Sure. So that's how that's how you get places like that. They stick together. Uh, they went into business, and over the next several years, they 
did very well for themselves. Uh, they acquired course, several mm-hmm. clothing factories with the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Uh, Name sounds so, familiar. Yes, uh, you'll see why here in a minute. Uh, being the flagship, uh, it employed over 500 people. Uh, but it was just one of it was one of several factories they owned, but it was the largest. Okay, uh, and they became no, they became known as the Shirtwaist Kings. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Wow, what a nickname. Mm-hmm. So both very wealthy off of this. Sure. Uh, the Triangle Factory itself it was founded in August 1900 by Blanken Harris. Um, it moved into premises in the Ash Building on Washington Street in New York City in 1902. Okay. Uh, in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, the factory initially took up only the ninth floor of the building, which is about 10 stories, mm-hmm. or which is 10 stories tall. So about 9,000 square feet. Okay. On this one so floor. So not extremely big. For a factory, no. Okay. Um, but it expanded uh, between 1902 and 1909. The business expanded to fill the 8th and the 10th floors. Okay. So now they're taking up the top three floors of this building. Seems weird that you would put a factory on the top three floors of a building, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe the, like the other ones had heavier industry factories, maybe. Maybe. Um, I'm not a lessor, I guess I don't know. Yeah. Uh, in that same time period, the whole clothing industry grew by the 2022 equivalent of about $32 billion. Oh my gosh. Yes, okay. so, so it, it's expanding rapidly uh, because a lot more people are... Now able to afford buying clothing instead mm-hmm. of making clothing. Right, fast fashion uh, is a thing now. Nobody has time to sit at home. And- well, not necessarily, not necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily fast fashion, but like fast fashion is just being able to purchase something off the rack. Yeah, rather than having to make it. Yeah. So yeah, not like Walmart fast fashion, but like fashion that you can purchase versus fashion that you have to make. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's becoming you know accessible to more people mm-hmm. instead of just being something that the rich would do. Well, if you have gigantic factories that make that kind of stuff, then yeah. the price goes down. So. Yeah. Uh, Blank and Harris, they used every tactic they could to crush labor unrest. Oh, great. Uh, but were unsuccessful as a strike occurred, or as a strike began in October 1909. Did they try alcohol? Uh. That's most of... <laughs> that's mostly what they do now. They're like... Want to work happy hour? Just don't strike. They're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. got it. <laughs> uh, the strike ended in February 1910. Wow. Uh, with victory for the ownership. Uh, these employees like, these employees, just couldn't afford to stay on strike any longer. Man. Um, so, that, like, they... I've gave, always wondered they, that. They, like, ma- they gave them some token concessions, but nothing really changed. I've always wondered that, like, how you... How you can afford to strike? How anybody can afford to strike in any sort of large scale, unless it's well, enough people who have agreed to strike that it absolutely shuts down the production. Yeah, but like if it's only like ten percent, then yeah. there's no uh, way. Yeah. Um, sometimes the union like uh, will give you a stipend over some yeah, period if, if, if it's a, a if it's a large enough union. Yeah. Um, but, if there is even a union that is, that's happening too, yeah. So it, it's yeah. Um, employees at this time they worked nine hour work days through the week, uh-huh. and seven hour shifts on Saturdays. Jeez, okay. Earning the 2018 equivalent of six dollars and twenty nine cents per hour. It's crappy to think about that this was in 1911 and our 
minimum wage is only a dollar more than that. Did you say six dollars and nineteen cents? Twenty nine. Okay, well, uh, Ohio minimum wage a- until twenty twenty was seven twenty five. Yep. And I actually, I think it was until twenty twenty one. I think they raised it last year. Yeah, I don't like remember nine, exactly. Nine something. I remember when I started working, it was five fifteen. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, 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 so they're not making a king's wage, but also wages have never risen <laughs> since no they they the uh unpaid masses are still the unpaid masses <laughs> yes wow a common practice of factory management at this time was to lock doors to prevent workers from leaving during their shifts that is so terrible yeah uh to stop theft Sure. Uh, a lot. Of, a lot <laughs> you, of the you. You can't steal those three hundred shirts. Put those down. <laughs> well, like uh, they would have people check. It was kind of like a you know you had, you had like a police checkpoint <laughs> or like a security checkpoint. They would check their purses to make sure they weren't stealing any shirts. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. Real trustworthy. Yeah. Um, and it was also to prevent union recruiting because a lot of times you would have. These recruiters come in from outside and try to, you know, recruit workers while they're at work to join the union. Sure, of course. So, it's also to prevent those who ever come again. And to prevent people who already work there from bringing in union materials. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Workers noted that Blank obsessed over this, uh, that he would, quote, test the locks and check the doors every time he passed. Jeez, man. And, what a weirdo. Uh, yeah, and that's where I'm saying he F's up, because mm. that comes into play later on. Okay. Um, in this building, workers would get up to the factory floors via two freight elevators. Uh-huh. Uh, the passenger elevators were reserved for management or customers. What about stairs? There were stairs. Okay. Well, that's what was locked. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Because the elevators at this time had elevator operators. Sure. So um, they could see your comings and goings. Uh-huh. Or they could be told, or, or you're told as a worker, like, hey, these freight elevators are what you use. Uh, these passenger ones are off limits. Uh-huh. You know, that kind of thing. And also, like, if they were like, okay, because they're on the 8th, ninth, and 10th floors, if they just sent the elevators down to the, to the first floor, then what are they going to do? Yeah. Storm the elevator. They can't call it up. Yeah. If it's during a shift, then that's probably another reason why they yeah. they were just like those those aren't even accessible to you. Yeah. And management was on the tenth floor. Uh, that's where Blank and Harris had their offices. That was also like the quote unquote showroom, if you want to call it that. Okay. Uh, Look at our shirts. They're so fancy. Yeah. So like your passenger elevators would just go straight up to. They would just avoid the eighth and ninth, and just or the operator would just would not stop at those floors. They just like right up to the tenth. It's like so, the 13th floor. It doesn't exist. Yeah. Don't look in there. So, uh, you know, uh, that that's some context. Uh, and the machines that they would use, uh, they're cutting these shirt waists. Mm-hmm. There would be a lot of, fa- like, l- fabric leavings on the sure. floor They in these baskets. Right. Uh, so. So they have a fire hazard already. Yes. Okay. Speaking of fire, mm-hmm. on March 25th, 1911... At approximately 4.40 p.m., a fire started on the 8th floor. Jeez. Uh, later investigation concluded that a lit match or a cigarette butt had been thrown in a, one of these scrap bins as a likely cause. Wow. Yeah. There was not an adequate alarm system, and fire drills had not been practiced. Oh, my God. Of yeah. course. 
And this is exactly why you have to practice fire drill, even in workplaces where there is no such thing as a fire. Yeah. Like the place that I used former work, my former workplace have to do fire drills like once a year. Yeah. Um, five escape routes existed. You have a fire escape on the outside of the building. Uh-huh. You have the two stairways and you have the two freight elevators. Um, at least for the eighth and ninth floors. Do we know how many people were working in there? Are you going to get to that? I don't have a number of total workers that day, but just okay. I'll get around to it. Uh, in addition, escape from the 10th floor, where, as I said, management was, um, to the roof of the building was possible. Uh-huh. They could just go up to the roof. But not in a fire. Well, I mean, well, if it's two floors below you, like maybe, like you don't know if you have to go through the fire to get out. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, Typically, when a fire starts, it starts at the base, and it only moves up. So I was just saying, like, if you went up to the roof, you might escape for a little while, but if it got bad enough, then you'd just be trapped well, on that, the roof. Well, that little while might be enough to, you know, save you. Jump jump off the building? Well, it might be enough to save you, because, like, you know, it gives, the, gives you time between when, you know, the fire department gets there, so... Okay. Um, one of the stairways was unreachable due to the fire. It just blocked mm. up. Uh, and the other was locked. Oh, my God. And the foreman had already, uh, who had the key, had already fled. Wow. Yeah. So he just left all of his homies behind. Yeah. Cool. The fire escape was poorly constructed, and it buckled under the heat, oh sending 20 workers to their deaths 100 feet below. Oh, my God. Well, it's not much of a fire escape. No. Jeez. Uh, the elevator operators made several trips to evacuate as many people as possible, which kudos to these elevator operators. They kept yeah. going as long as they could, getting as many people out. Yeah, because in case of a fire, you're not supposed um, to use the elevator. Yeah, but they had to stop when the fire began melting the elevator rails. <gasps> no. Yeah, God. so... Talk about worst case scenario. Um, one of the fire... Or the elevator operators uh, spoke that, like... Th- they must have gotten desperate enough because he started hearing thuds on the top of the elevator. Jeez. Yeah. Um, the fire department engines had ladders, but they only reached the seventh floor of the building. That's what I was about to say. Like, yeah, the fire department might get there, but I don't know exactly what the... Um, the f- <laughs> I'm only basing this off of movies that I've seen, but like, when did Gangs of New York happen? It was the late 1800s, right? That was uh, 1860s. Okay. Like during the Civil War, like New York City draft riots. Okay, so, like, okay, it's been, like, 40 years, but the fire suppression situation, still not amazing. No. Ladders, not tall enough to reach the top of the building, not well, even tall enough to reach the floor of the building where the fire's happening. Well, th- this is definitely an era when, like, skyscrapers really start becoming a thing, mm-hmm. and the fire suppression technology isn't catching up with it. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, like... Sure, you could get up to the top of the building, but yeah. fire firemen can't get in there. And, and these engines may have been adequate like 10, 15 years before this, but not anymore. Sure. So, um, so the fire's raging. They can't get up there to put it out because it's dangerous all the way around. And if you had gone up to the roof, you'd just be stuck up there. Yeah, for... I mean... Well, with no other option... Workers who were still trapped, mostly from the ninth floor. Uh-huh. A lot of the eighth floor workers could 
still kind of get out like the elevators and stuff. The, the, the ninth floor and the tenth floor workers could escape the roof. The ninth floor workers were really SOL. Okay. Because the elevators couldn't get up there. Mm-hmm. Stairs are all locked. Fire escape is gone. Gone. With no other option, workers still trapped there being leaping from the windows. Well, they say that burning alive is like one of the worst possible ways to die, so I guess they were like, well, we're going to die by falling. Yeah. And I'm assuming... I mean, I guess not everybody had to die like that, but you're probably going to die more quickly. I have a, I have an extended quote here okay. uh, from an eyewitness named Lewis Waldman. Okay. Quote, One Saturday afternoon in March, I was sitting at one of the reading tables in the library. I was deeply engrossed in my book when I became aware of fire engines racing past the building. Along with several others in the library, I ran out to see what was happening and followed crowds of people to see to the scene of the fire. A few blocks away, the Ash Building, where the Triangle Factory mm-hmm. was, was ablaze. When we arrived at the scene, the police had thrown up a cordon around the area, and, fi- and the firemen were helplessly fi- uh, fighting the blaze. The 8th, ninth, and 10th stories of the building were now an enormous cornice of flames. Word had spread that the Triangle Waste Company was on fire, and that several hundred workers were trapped. Horrified and helpless, the crowds, I among them, looked up at the burning building, saw girl after girl appear at the reddened windows, pause for a terrified moment, and then leap to the pavement below to land as a mangled, bloody pulp. Oh my god. This went on for what seemed like a ghastly eternity. Occasionally, a girl, who had hesitated for too long, was licked by pursuing flames and, screaming with clothing and hair ablaze, plunged like a living torch to the street. Life nets were held by firemen were torn by the impact of the falling bodies. The emotions of the crowd were indescribable. Women were hysterical. Scores fainted. Men wept as in paroxysms of frenzy they hurled themselves against the police lines. End quote. Jeez. So they did have, like, things to try and catch them, but they were just falling at terminal velocity, so it was like they just fell through these nets. Yeah. Jeez, they were man. They weren't adequate to stop them. Uh, another quote from another onlooker named William Shepard. Quote, I learned a new sound that day. Ugh. A sound more horrible than description can picture. The thud of a speeding, living body on a stone sidewalk. End quote. Ugh. My God. Well, chilling. So that I mean, yeah. That like, what are you gonna do if you have hot flames at your back? Just sit there and immolate, or yeah. are you gonna jump out the window? Yeah. Um. <sighs> the fire was completely extinguished by six ten p.m. So what's about, time did the about fire an hour start? and a half since it started? Man, so it wasn't even a, on fire for that long. Wow. I actually have... Uh, well, that's a picture, like, kind of like the, what the... Not that specific factory, but what it would look like on the inside. Um, that's Blank and Harris, left mm-hmm. to right. Uh, there's the building on fire. Oh, boy. You can't really see the top, but you can see it's yeah. kind of blackened. Yeah. Are those people? Yeah. Cody Reynolds. Why would you show me that picture? It's terrible. One of the pictures that Cody just showed me, I'm probably not going to put this on Instagram because that's god-awful, is a bunch of people in piles on the ground. And, like, what are those police officers standing there? Yeah, still watching the blaze. Lord have mercy. And there's other pictures you can see of... I had to see this, so you have to see it. Um, There's other pictures of them in the coffins... 
Like they had, they had just there were so many bodies they just had to just have coffins right there to put them in. Oh my god. Um yeah. And that's the inside of the factory after the fire. Oh my god. There's just piles and piles of people. People and debris. Debris and just yeah. It's just flattened. So that's just one floor though. Yeah. And this was three floors that were completely gone. Yeah. Wow. So the guy's quote said that there were hundreds of workers in there. Um, hundreds of workers in there, but uh, 146 were killed. So still over 100, but not hundreds. Well, he was saying that hundreds of people worked there. That's not yeah. including the people yeah. that got out. Yeah. Did they have an estimate of like what percentage of that was total people? No, I okay. didn't. I didn't find one. Um, okay. But 146 were killed. Mm-hmm. Most of the victims were recently immigrated women, ranging in age from 14 to 43. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Uh, victims will be buried in various cemeteries around New York City over the coming days. Okay. Uh, Blank and Harris, they managed to survive, because they were in, on the 10th floor and they fled to the roof. Of course. Uh, they were indicted on manslaughter charges on April 12th, 1911. Technically 89 years before I was born. Uh-huh. Uh, with the trial scheduled for December 4th. Okay. Uh, they were released on $25,000 bond. Which, of course, they had, because they yeah. were kajillionaires at this point. Yeah. Uh, they hired an attorney, Max uh, Stoyer, to defend them. Uh, Stoyer had a reputation as a powerful attorney and was the best that money could buy. Of course. Um, one who could, uh, who, like, you know, had a repu- like, reputation as a shark. Okay. Uh I was going to say, Will what it, like, they did is pretty indefensible. Yeah, so. willing to destroy people to uh, for the sake of his clients. Jim, Jim Carrey and Liar Liar. Yeah. Except he, <laughs> I mean, at the beginning. Except, yeah, except he has no redemption. Yeah. <laughs> um, Stoyer managed to uh, convince the jury that, I, that eyewitness testimony had been coached by the prosecution. Oh, my god. Basically, gosh. he had... Uh, some of these women like who, who survived who were testifying to the practices uh-huh. of the uh, of Blank, the factory, Blank and- uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and what had happened that day. And he basically got one of them to basically she repeated her exact testimony verbatim, like word for word, mm-hmm. and he twisted that to be like, "Well, she must be being coached." Like, like she's saying it, like she's saying it from a script that they must have coached her to do it. Oh boy! Also, also a little her. sexist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't just her, you know, right. her actual lived experience. Yeah, and the prosecution could not definitively prove that Blank and Harris had known that the stairway doors were locked. Even though the one guy was like well known to do that all the time. Yeah, yeah. So I mean. I guess they could have thrown the foreman under the bus since he had the keys, but it's like... Yeah. Both were acquitted of all charges. Of course. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Because they're rich factory owners in the early 20th century. Yeah. I mean... Although that could still happen. I was going to say, basically everything in this entire episode still rings true today. Like, if that happened today... It wouldn't matter. It's like, well, you can't yeah. prove... Unless there's, like, camera footage or something. I mean, yeah. I guess that's the difference. But if there's no camera footage... <laughs> well, even then, they'd be like, oh, it's doctored. Or they'd be like, well, that's an OSHA violation yeah. to lock people in. Like, well, we didn't do it. We don't know who did it. <laughs> they would probably... They, you know what they would probably do? they probably appeal... Well, OSHA doesn't have jurisdiction in this area. <laughs> 
We're like, well, we didn't do it. Somebody else must have done it. Blame yeah. them. We're not liable. I was hypnotized into doing it. <laughs> who who used that as a defense? I don't know. I'm just... Oh, okay. I was hypnotized into locking yeah. the door. Um, a civil suit found both of them liable. So, much like O.J. Simpson. Yeah, acquitted all say, charges, but found up, civilly liable. That's straight up an O.J. situation. Yeah. And they were fined $75 per victim. Okay. For a total of $10,950, which in 2021 dollars is a total of $329,505 is what they were fined. Beans. Yes. Beans for a rich person. Oh, it gets better. Oh, no. Does it really get better, or is it is it going to make me more sad? It's going to make me more sad. Oh, great. However, the insurance policy... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's all I had to say for the look on your face. Uh, the insurance policy the business carried covered this, and they received four hundred dollars per victim oh my God. for a total of nearly one point seven million dollars. So they came out ahead. They locked a bunch of people uh-huh. inside of a burning factory, and then they came out ahead uh-huh. because they had an insurance policy. Yep. So not only were they not held liable criminally, they were held liable civilly. But their insurance paid for it and gave them extra cash. Mm-hmm. So honestly, they were net rewarded for burning a yeah. hundred and how many did you say? Hundred and forty six. They were rewarded for burning a hundred and forty six people alive, mm-hmm. or you know, driving them to jump out of a window and smash to their to bits. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, and. and, and <laughs> there have been some fires at their factories previously, like minor ones, which is why their insurance was so... Like, their insurance was... They had to have, like, the highest policy. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it, it, it's a whole complicated thing that I'm like, I don't fully understand how this works anyway, because it's insurance, and uh-huh. nobody really understands how it works to this day. Yeah. But, yeah, so... They were money makers for the insurance company, point being. Wow. Because, like, they paid high premiums over periods of time where they had no incidents. So. Right. Yeah. It's gross. Yep, definitely. Do you remember, uh, it was like episode nine, when our effer upper... uh, I said he learned his lesson. He, like, regretted it. He learned his lesson, so, so to speak. Um, that was the one about the space shuttle. Yeah, I remember that. Blank did not learn his lesson. Oh my god, did he set more people on fire? In 1913, Blank was arrested for locking his workers in at another factory. Was this there a fire? T- two years later. No, but oh, he was just caught okay. doing it. He was fined the minimum amount of $20. Dude. And the judge even apologized for having to le- for having to levy the fine. So what you're saying is he did not. He definitely did not learn his lesson. No, well, and he got caught doing it again, and like he got a he got a slap on the wrist and an apology. Well, the thing about something being illegal is that if the penalty is a fine, then it's only illegal for poor people. Correct. Because for him, he was like, "Well, let me pay it now." I mean, I've got that much in cash. That's walking around money. Yeah, exactly. Like. And, like, not even cocky walking around yeah. money. Like, I mean... I don't the, carry bills that small. Can you break a 50? Yeah, exactly. Like, the folks at his factory would work for, like, days to make that much money. And he was just like, 20 bucks? No problem. 
which means that instead of it being a deterrent for him, was just yeah. it was like, okay. The well, turret, hell, last time he made money on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, well, guess what? Gonna keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Keep finding me 20 bucks. Yeah, it, it yeah, it, like, even today, it's like a fine. It's just like, for a rich person, it's just like, okay. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. A parking ticket. Well, if a parking ticket is 250 bucks, yeah. it's that means that it's only illegal for, which I've never had a $250 parking ticket. The most I've ever had was like $25. I think when we were in Athens, I got a $15 parking ticket. I didn't pay it, but. Yeah, well, you know, some of us uh, don't have. Don't have a $50 parking ticket? Well, speeding tickets. Well, okay. Speeding tickets, though, are one thing because that adds points on your license yeah. and eventually can revoke your license if you have enough points. Yeah, I, I, I'm trust me, I'm, I'm well acquainted with that. What I'm saying though is a parking ticket, like you, you can get a bench warrant if you have so many unpaid parking tickets, but it's not going to put no. points on your license. So if you get a like, for for instance, one time I came home early from work and I parked at a meter out in front of the apartment that I was living in and I just forgot to put money in it because typically I parked after 6 p.m. so I didn't have to pay and I got a $15 parking ticket and so I was like well this is annoying but I'm gonna pay it yeah but if you were a rich person like you wouldn't even think twice about it you're like well this is cheaper than valet yeah it really is yeah so yeah it's if it if the penalty is a fine then it's only illegal for poor people. Yeah, so I should be a percentage of your wealth. Because at that point, you know, 20 bucks to someone who's barely scraping by, yeah, that's going to be significant for them, but it, well, it doesn't break them mm-hmm. like a $200 fine would. Mm-hmm. But someone who's worth a million bucks, well, you got to pay $10,000 mm-hmm. or $20,000 or what have you. Mm-hmm. You know, they might think twice about doing it again, but, you know, if it's a 200 bucks, it's like, eh. Yeah. So. Exactly. Uh, anyway, the Triangle Shirtwaist Company uh, continued until 1918. Uh, it just, obviously, bad publicity. Yeah. Because, you know, they have this trial and everything, and the public does not like this. Sure, That this has happened. Yeah. Uh, Blank and Harris, they continued in business together until 1920. Um, Harris... Uh, I couldn't really find anything about when they died. Mm-hmm. Um, anything specific. Um, Harris, uh, the last record of him in business is in like 1925. Mm-hmm. Uh, not very much about them after this. I, could, I couldn't find anything. I'm sure if you, you know, went to New York and looked up like the state, you know, death records, you could find it. But sure. I don't have those kind of resources <laughs> or time. Not yet. Or... Really, just yeah. So follow us on OnlyFans. <laughs> just kidding. There's something you want to tell me? No. <laughs> do we have a secret OnlyFans? <laughs> no, we do not. Specifically, no, we do not. No. We do not have any kind of OnlyFans. Uh, I was just saying, like, if you pay us, we'll go to New York and look up these records for those out there who are burning to know yeah. when Max uh, Blank and somebody Harris, Isaac Harris, Mr. Harris <laughs> died. <laughs> yeah, we'll um, figure it out for you. Several labor leaders and politicians pushed for reform after the fire, sensing the public mood. Mm-hmm. Uh, reasonably so. Uh, over the following years, uh, over 60 new laws regulating workplace safety were passed. Like, can't be locking the doors. Well, there are which people is, in there, Which yeah. is why, a couple of years later, Blank got arrested for it, because this is a new law, so you can't do this. Okay. Now. 
At least they had yeah. a law on the books yeah. about it. Um, uh, making sure your fire escapes aren't going to, you know, melt. melt. <laughs> Fall off. Oh, yeah. my God. Because, you know, fire escape, it's going to be hot. Yeah, it needs to be able to withstand a fire. Yes. So that people can escape from the fire. Uh, like adequate fire suppression systems, um, making sure your fire engines can reach the tops of the buildings. Probably not letting people smoke. Uh, yeah, um, that, that prop probably not so much, but yeah. Oh yeah, they were definitely smoking in the workplace still. Uh, yeah. For a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I was um, like, at least through Mad Men time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, like, just all uh, several new um, workplace safety initiatives were started, uh, and this, and especially in New York City, and this spread out, you know, over across the country. Like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, maybe we should adopt this as well. Okay. Um, so this kind of gives it new life to this um, movement. Yeah. Um, two of the driving forces behind reform were uh, future New York Governor Al Smith. Okay. Uh, who unsuccessfully ran for president in 1928 and was the first, uh, just as I note, the first nominee of either major party to be a Catholic. It, wow. It took till 1928. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, didn't win. Got the f- floor wiped with him with, by Herbert Hoover. Okay. So, Sweet. but, yeah. Um, yeah, if you're the governor of New York, you said he was a governor, right? Yeah. That, like... People who are the governor of New York, yeah, they end up doing big stuff, like either being a senator or yeah, um, it kind of is a launch pad, especially back then. Yeah, like, that's what like, I'm saying. Like seriously, like it, 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 like up until probably the well mid 20th century, mm-hmm. one of the presidential candidates, probably or like somebody of the four spots on the tickets, mm-hmm. like president or vice president from the main two parties. One of them is going to be from New York. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Heck, 2016, both presidential candidates were from New York. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... It's weird. Yeah, so, um... Yeah, so so it, it's a, a very powerful platform to yeah. advocate from, yeah, even across like, the country. Were we listening to a podcast that was specifically about, like, corruption in the New York legislature? Um, yeah, I think it was one of the first seasons of American Scandal. Yeah. I yeah. think. Yep. Yeah. So. So, I mean, then, now. Yeah. So. Uh, back in the 1800s, back in the early 1900s, yep. like, New York has had all kind of manner yeah. of craziness. Yeah. Um, another one of the reformers was Francis Perkins. Okay. I don't uh, think I know that Would name. later go on to become the labor secretary under FDR, the oh, first okay. woman to ever serve in the cabinet. Interesting. Yeah, she served Draw that position off. for like twelve years, I think. Wow, the, a long time. I think we, at some point in D, when we were went to DC a few years ago, we passed the Francis Perkins Labor Building. Hmm. So, I uh, think it was just a big box. A lot of them are, but yeah. still, you know, first woman in the cabinet, so pr- pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, the last survivor of the fire, Rose Rosenfeld, died in two thousand one. Jeez. God, she was. She least. was she was over a hundred years old at this point, but but yeah, two thousand one. So it's like really, it's not that <laughs> not long, that long ago. ago. Your grandparents could have been in there. Yeah, or at least our great. You and I are probably our great grandparents could have been in there. Yeah, great grandparents. Yeah, because my my grandma was born in nineteen thirteen. My oldest grandma. 
My oldest grandparent was born in 1913. My dad's dad. Yeah, so... But the rest of the other three were, like, 1930s, so... Yeah, but their parents could have reasonably been in there. Yeah. Um, The Ash Building, where it was located, was repaired, and is today the Brown Building of NYU. Oh, I've been there before. Uh, It was declared a National Historic Landmark in 1991. Specifically because of the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire? Yeah. Well, because it was a significant event, Mm. um, especially for labor uh, and workplace safety. um, And also, it's kind of a moral to the people who lost their lives. Okay. Um, Do you think it's haunted? I don't know. If ever there was a place that was going to be haunted, it's probably that one. Yeah. No, I'm serious, though. Like, if if ever a place was going to be haunted, that would be the place. Yeah. A bunch of people got locked in and then burnt alive and or they had to jump through windows. Probably haunted. All right. Sorry. Um, that That's really all I have. Um, the sources for this I uh, used are Brennan Lang's The Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. Uh, Albert Mayer uh, from 2008. Albert Mayer's Flesh and Blood So Cheap. The Triangle Fire and Its Legacy from 2011. Leon Stein's The Triangle Fire from 1963. Uh, David Von Driel's Triangle, The Fire That Changed America from uh, 2003. And that extended quote from Lewis Walbin was from his autobiography uh, called Labor Le- Lawyer from 1944. Did he become a labor lawyer after that? Yeah. Wow. Uh, he was he was actually uh, elected to the New York State Legislature from the Socialist Party. Wow, that's kind of amazing. Do you think that that moment, like, spurned him into doing it? It probably served as some motivation to him. Wow. So. Well, kudos to you, Lewis, what? Waldman. Lewis Waldman. Bravo. Yep. Uh, What kind of shenanigans are we getting into next time? More sad stuff? No, no. It's something uh, very important to the formation of this country. So... You know, uh, we get to talk about incompetent British aristocrats and <laughs> and my favorite topic from history, the revolution. The American Revolution. Yes. Specifically. Yes. That sort of thing is my bag, baby. <laughs> now we're going to have to pay Mike Myers royalties. Why? Yeah. But, awesome. Yeah, so that that's definitely... I'm surprised it's taken me this long to get around to it. No, it's it's not that it took you this long to get around to it. You specifically did not want to venture close to that topic because you didn't want it to become a podcast only about the revolution because you know too much about it. That's fair. But yes. I'm surprised, like, you know, through thir- was this 13? This is episode 13. Through 13 episodes, I haven't talked about it once. It's fair. That's so, fair. you know, I've talked about plenty of other things and, yeah, revolution. Well, now we're getting there. Yes. Please don't forget to check out our sister projects, or mostly my sister projects, uh, the YouTube show, The Drunken Pond, which is produced by myself and hosted by our co-producer, Steve, on this podcast, um, where we drink beer and play board games. It's a great time. Uh, Attack of the Final Girls, which is a horror review podcast, uh, which is co-hosted by myself and my lovely pod wife, Juliet. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show so we can stay on the charts. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at WeFDUP. I'm Teresa. And I'm Cody. And this is WeFDUP. We